Children's Church, you are dismissed. If you'd like to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be diving into verses 15 through 17 today. But before we get to that, um, as we're going to talk about here shortly, our, the entirety of our worship, of our unity, of the foundational structure of the church and of our worship on a Sunday morning is completely tied around and should be centered on the Word of God. And so, uh, we, We've already witnessed that today in our singing. We're going to do some of that later on after the message. Hopefully you're going to notice that the message itself is brought directly from the Word. And as we even begin in that today, um, our prayer too is going to come from the Word, from Colossians chapter 1. So let's bow our heads and pray together before we worship. For this reason also, God, we are asking you, Father, that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and understanding. God, we pray that we do this, that we may walk worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in our knowledge of who you are, God, and of what you have done for us. God, strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have a great endurance that we may have patience, that we may join together and joyfully give thanks to you, God. Because you have enabled us to share in a new life, in the inheritance of the saints. God, you have rescued us from darkness, from death, from our sin, and you have brought us into your kingdom, into your family, adopted, grafted in, knit together as one because of the blood of Christ shared on the cross. God, we thank you that you now call us sons and daughters. We are no longer in opposition to you. God, we have been redeemed. We've been forgiven of our sins, and all of that was made possible by your Son, Jesus Christ, out of your will, and we thank you for that. God, today as we gather around your word, help us to understand it, help us to hold on to it, help us to live it out in your Son's holy and precious name, we pray. Amen. So again, we'll be joining together in chapter 3 of Colossians. And so I'm not going to go through the entire chapter, but just to get us back into our place of context, I'm going to read through verses 12 through 14, leading up to our verses for today. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, His chosen ones who are holy and dearly loved, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So as we read through 12 through 14, we just see these things that I 
some of us just need to hear again today. I know that I'm not going to re-preach through what James did last week. Just that we are holy. Some of us think the only way we're going to be holy is because we have eyes and you know, noses and ears and mouths. And that's as holy as we're going to get unless we get a paper cut. But we are holy as he is holy because of what he has done. We are dearly loved. We've been chosen by God. So because of that, as we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about putting things away, taking off, pulling off that dead self, that old self, and putting on this new self, this new image that reflects who Christ is as our creator, as our savior. And we look through that, and so these are the things that reflect him, this compassion, this kindness, this humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, because we were forgiven first. And what that does, it brings us together and we put on love. The strongest of these, the reason that God killed himself for us in the first place. So we can be bonded together from that love in unity. And that unity is the central idea. Even though this verse 15, uh, these verses 15 through 17, it is a separate idea. We're, We're moving on from some of these things. One of the main ideas from that last verse in 14, that's going to carry on into what we're talking about today. And it's the bond of unity. Unity. And so, as we say that, let us read into that today in verses 15 through 17. So that bond of unity. And then in verse 15, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called into one body, Let it rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we've been talking about in Colossians 1 and 2, who God is, who Christ is, what he has done for us, how he is sufficient, how he affects us in our hearts, and our minds, and our actions, everything like that. We've been talking about the problems coming up against the church that Paul is reaching out to them saying, just bind yourselves. Together in unity. Earlier in chapter 1 it talks about how we are knit together. We are stitched together by the blood of Christ. By his love. And so that's very similar to the theme today. So the four things that we're going to pull out of this text today. Verses 15 through 17 is this. Is that in the church. In the context of the church. Because that's what he's talking about here. We've been talking about what he has done for us individually. And now he's bringing it into a fullness of how we're going to interact together as a body of believers in the church. Next week, we're going to get into some individual aspects, individual relationships, and how that should apply in marriage and parenting and so on and so forth. But what he's talking about specifically here in our verses 15 through 17 is how the church should interact, how the church should work together as one body bound together in love. And so here are the four things. The first one is this, that we are to prioritize the peace of Christ. That we are, second, to prioritize the gratitude to Christ. Thirdly, prioritize the word and the worship of him. 
And last but not least, how we are to prioritize the reputation of Christ. So as we get into this first part, how we're to prioritize the peace of Christ, let's look again at verses 15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, let it rule your hearts and be thankful. So I want you to note the four, some of the qualities that this peace has. It is a divine peace. We're going to center around that word for just a second. Around Christmas, we discussed you know, why Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. It's because before our conversion, before that, before Christ even came truly, man was at war with God. Man was in opposition to him. We were the darkness and he was the light. We had fallen in our sin and we needed to be reunified to him. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see how the law was just insufficient to be able to make that perfect, to be able to make that possible. And so God came himself and he died on a cross for us so that we can be saved. And at that point, our war with God ended and we were able to become at peace with him. So in our personal lives, when we put our faith in Christ, we are letting go of that conflict and we are coming into a peace. We are coming into a redemption, a rest with God. We are no longer in opposition to him. We are covered by the blood of Christ. And so it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But here, you know, we see so often when we talk about the peace of God, we're talking about things like in Philippians 4, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, so on and so forth. But here it's the peace of Christ. That's a term that's not used much in the New Testament. But it is a peace of Christ. A deep tranquility. We look in John 14, Jesus said, My peace I will leave with you. My peace I will give unto you. So what is Paul trying to say here when he's bringing up the peace of Christ, even though we've been more focused on the peace of God throughout some of this past text? He brings up the peace of Christ. It is a reference not to an eternal sense of calm, but rather to a relational concord, a relational agreement, a binding between people. Paul is speaking specifically about relationships within the church, the people who are unified in Christ uh, as we saw in verse 11, despite their racial, cultural, and sociological differences, who are bonded together by love, as we saw in verse 14, and which now we see in 15, verse 15, are called together in one body. So this peace that is drawing us together as one, it is to rule over us, is a ruling peace. And when we look at the word rule, sometimes we see it as a an authoritative structure, and that is true, but in the context in this, in, in the Greek text, that word rule is actually, a, it's an athletic term. It's used to describe basically an umpire, the role of uh, mitigating and pulling people off of one another and just umpiring over us as a people. And so God means peace should arbitrate, it, it should come between, it should dampen, the interactions, and subjugate us all under that authority, uh, all of our activities, all of our decisions, all of our interactions between one another as a church. Peace calls us together in unity, as we've seen, and then it also rules over our actions. And that is a tough job. I just spent this past weekend, uh, us and our family, we got away, a little 
time uh, with the family. And so I'm surrounded by, even yesterday was my daughter's birthday party, I'm surrounded by all my nieces and nephews, which are all terrible children, okay? <laughs> terrible. I'm not looking at the parents right now, they're terrible. Mine included, okay, awful. And so just having to umpire over these kids and well, she stole this and he did that and she's breaking them up and pulling them off of each other and this and that. That is exhausting. And so thank God that he is doing that for us in the church because I know that we are no different even today than those children. Our interactions with each other are not to be ruled by our emotions. They're not to be ruled by our anger. They're not to be ruled by our passions. But instead they are to be centered around unified in Christ, and then governed, umpired by Him. So this is a ruling peace. It's a ruling peace of unity to which we are called in one body, peace with others in the church. So why? In its original context, God had Paul write this because if the Colossians were going to withstand all the opposition they were coming up against, if they're going to withstand the danger of the false teachers, if the Colossians were going to withstand the, the influence of the outside culture of the broken world, then they must do so together. The solidarity of God's new people standing together as one unified body was so vital to withstanding the threats and the hardships that they faced outside the church. And we are no different today. It's a crazy and it's a broken world. And you, there's all the examples, and one of the easiest ones to throw out is that if you're a bad person. Culturally, in our society, you are considered a bad person if you do not support abortion. If you do not support the taking of innocent, unborn lives. You're considered a bad person. You're considered almost immoral in a world that doesn't have morals. And so if we are going to get through this, this, and we're going to do so in a way that is faithful and that is glorifying to Christ, then we are going to need him and we're going to need each other. God wants us to get along and he's going to help us do it through Christ. So, uh, this next part, the last part of that text, and it's just kind of slapped on the end there, but it's not a, an abstract idea. And it just says right there at the end of verse 15, it says, be thankful and be thankful. And this is something that, again, it's not an abstract idea. We're actually going to see elements of this thrown throughout 15, 16, and 17. It's all through that. And that's why my second point for us today is that we are to prioritize gratitude to Christ. Out of a thankful heart, out of a gracious heart, we are to, uh, as we'll see later, worship the Lord and we're to hold on to that. And so uh, some of this, I think, streams from, you know, it, this is a loaded portion right here. It may seem like Paul is just kind of chugging that in there, but the other letters, he is always very adamant. You, you have to know the rest of some more of his writings, some more of scripture to know that he is always excessively adamant that believers are to be thankful to God, always clinging to that, always thankful, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of how they feel emotionally, regardless of what they're going through. I mean, even in this letter, he's writing about, in these three verses, being thankful while Paul is sitting in jail, and he does not know 
if he's going to get out. And yet he's telling other people, be thankful, be gracious. God is good. And so a couple of options for why he does this here is he may be saying to be thankful for this ruling, unifying peace of Christ. Or Paul may be trying to just emphasize the importance of not taking the gospel for granted. Of maybe just encouraging them to be intentional about thankfulness of Christ and of what he has done. Truly, we're about to start talking about his word and his worship. You cannot come to his word and appreciate it. You can't really come into worship until you come to gratefulness. Until you come to a gratitude. Until you come to an understanding of what he's done for you. Because we're all selfish people, so it is about us, right? First, it's about us. And so when you understand what he's done for you, then he opens your eyes to what he's doing for all of us, and now we're all tied together in one body. God, thank you so much. That's not the point. So again, prioritizing our gratitude and our gratefulness to him. I won't harp on it, but I pray that you'll each come into understanding of that in your own time. Point three, prioritizing the word and the worship of Christ. Verse 16, let's move on. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So what does Paul mean? First off, let's start there with the word of Christ. What does Paul mean by the word of Christ? The word, which it, this could be taken in a couple different ways, but it's all typically recognized as a synonym for scripture. But it could be focused generally on the word that Christ spoke himself that we see in the Gospels, recorded in the Gospels, or the words about Christ, which is also technically the Gospels. Um, but if you also look, the words about Christ are also throughout the entirety of scripture. Everything from the Old Testament to now is, especially in the Old Testament, it's pointing the way, it's leading up towards Christ. Then we're seeing in the Gospels his life, his abundance, his sufficiency, all the work that he does, that he does for us, and there it is. And then the rest of it, all these New Testament letters and epistles and everything else, that is coming from what he has done, what he taught, and how we're to live and react by it. Okay? So literally everything in here, everything in God's word is about Christ. And that is why everything in our lives is to also be about Christ. He's the ruler of everything. He's the firstborn. He's the authority. Go back to chapter one. We've got like a 15 verse list of how great, how sufficient, how overpowering he is. King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, all that we need. All that we need. He's everything. So as he's everything. So basically, word of Christ, Bible. God's word is to dwell richly among us. So this word, this text, these words, they are to dwell. Literally, dwell means to be at home. Usually when we talk about the word of God, we're discussing how it is, uh, should dwell within us. That's throughout scripture, how we're to hide it in our hearts, all these different things. Within every part of us, it's to be at home. Every aspect of our lives, in our minds, and our wills, and our thoughts, we are to make his word a part of us. Not for us to just have a greater understanding of the text itself, because, no, the 
we're to do it because it's gonna change us. It's gonna change who we are from the inside out. And so we're to make it at home in us. But this time, the phrasing, he's talking about it, and it's just a little different, just slight, slight tweaking. Instead of focusing on how it's supposed to be a part of us, individually, Paul's focus here is the plural you. He's saying that the word is to dwell richly among you, plural. So translated to the player's beliefs, y'all. He's to dwell richly among y'all. Together as a body of believers, the word is to dwell among us, around us, cushioning us, guiding us. So just as the peace of Christ is our umpire, and it's just pulling us off of each other, and it's fixing our, you know, putting us together. His word is to be our God. And so God works by means of his word to instruct our faith and guide our obedience. And even to give us the primary content of his words that we're to use to worship him. And the text leads us there. So we're to have the word dwell in us richly in all wisdom. That means making it highly prioritized and appreciated. And you ask yourself this before we move on. I'm starting to run. Is your life being centered around his word? And I'm not just, I don't just mean, are you getting up every day, are you reading through your verses and you're getting on in your life? Are you reading it? Are you believing it? And are you obeying it? Because that's what it means for it to richly dwell within us in all wisdom. It's for us to not just read it, but to come into an understanding of it. Not just believe it, but to believe it enough through faith to where you're staking your life on this. You're letting it guide your life because you're now going into obedience to it. Okay? If you come across something in here and it's not the way that you're thinking, oh man, I gotta change. I've gotta change. And he'll help you do that. Notice what it does not say in here. That it's supposed to be... <laughs> Sometimes as a pastor it's easy to get uh, cynical. I don't want to be cynical. I want to be thankful to God. I want to be honest. But even among other pastors, you know, I hang out with a lot of other pastors. I'm just trying to steal all that knowledge, right? And all that wisdom. I'm just borrowing as much as I can. Um, but still, that's one of the traps. That's one of the pitfalls. As a pastor, even as a Christian, is to know how it's supposed to be. Know how good it can be. And to see how much people don't always live up to that. Right? So it's easy to get cynical. And so my cynical comment, which I wanted to paraphrase it before I just said it, is that, sure, the Word of God is not only to be read on Sundays and Wednesdays when someone's there to spoon-feed it towards you. Uh, it's not only to be believed when it doesn't conflict with how you feel about it otherwise. It's not only to be obeyed when it's easy or convenient and it doesn't stop you from doing what you want to do. It's always to be read. It's always to be believed and it's always to be obeyed. So when we do this, when the word of Christ, when it dwells richly among us, what happens? And among, again, among us, because we're talking about the church itself. What's that going to lead us to? It's going to lead us to teaching. It's going to lead us to admonishing. It's going to lead us to sing. 
Um, the primary ways Paul says that we should use God's word here as a church are through teaching, admonishing, which means correcting, and through singing. And this is the reason that these three, they take a prominent role in our worship service. When we come together, we're coming together to sing, coming together to be taught, and even me who has to do the teaching, I'm being corrected so often. Anytime that we're diving into the word, I'm first having to preach this into a mirror. And it stinks. This is a terrible job. I don't know what I was thinking. But, but it's true. And God is so good. And he teaches with a kind spirit. But anyways, as we gather together, these are to, these are to be the three things that we focus on. That we, these are, Each of them are going to serve to fill our hearts, our minds, and our life with the word of Christ. And all of them are going to help guide us towards him. Teaching that is the positive instruction of the truth of Christ. Where do we teach from? His word. Admonishing, it's warning and correcting and encouraging faithfulness to Christ. Where do we use as the standard, as the guide for that? His word. And as we look even in a, an example of that is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Thank you, Lord. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Right? And if we are to do this, we are to do this for with and for one another. So in the church. So why? Because we are one body. So in this context, you're not reading, you're not believing, you're not obeying just for yourself anymore. It's also for the benefit, for the blessing of those around you, for the greater good of the whole body. And I can't stress this enough. We talked about it uh, two, two, a week or two ago on Sunday night when I preached on Philemon. We are now all one in Christ. All of us. We say that all the time. But do we live like that? Do you really believe that? That me and you are now of one body, of one family, of one brotherhood, of one bloodline, through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. All of us are bound together, knit together. We are one body. But we are taught from yea high onward that we're individuals. You're an individual. You're an individual. You're not we're not. That's the difference. We can't do this on our own. We're not supposed to do this life, any of it, on our own. We're supposed to do it together. Thank God. Because I can't do it on my own. Uh, me and my wife, so this, again this past weekend, I brag, got to go to Disney World. Happiest place on earth. Not really. <laughs> Happiest place on earth if you own Disney and you're taking all of our money hand over fist, right? But um, yeah, our marriage almost did not survive the happiest place on earth. <laughs> it truly was a test. I love you so much. Uh, it truly was a test. Uh, just all the different things, you know, crowds, stress, crowding. Um, that is not my element in any way. It's a very nice element, but even if you take a fish out of water and you put him in paradise, he's still going to die. Okay? It's not where he's supposed to be. And I felt very much like a fish just flopping around uh, for most of the week. But anyways, that's not the point. Although throughout the week, a lot of times, we just had to look at each other and we had to go, same team. Same team. We're on the same team. And that's something that 
each and every one of us, when you're walking through the doors, when you're out in public, when you're having a hard time, when you're, you know, screaming at the person in the car in front of you, even though you can't hear them, but you see their little church sticker on the back window, same team. We're all in this together. And we, I, really, that's just something that, in our, in our spiritual maturity, I hope God just grows us to understand deeply that just will dwell within us as a church, as just the people here. I mean, if we could just get these 150 people or so to understand that, oh man, we could move as one body in such a powerful way. So, I'm going to get in trouble later. Uh, same team. That's right. So how? While teaching helps us understand and obey the word of Christ, singing helps us experience and remember the word of Christ and what he has done. And we get three examples of how we can sing and worship uh, right here. Uh, A, um, in Psalms, which is out of the Old Testament, uh, two of which we got to hear this morning. Thank you guys so much for helping lead us in worship with that. In hymns, uh, we caught a couple of those as well, songs of praise and glory to God, and three out of spiritual songs, uh, which we're going to enjoy one after the service today just to help make my point very clear. So an illustration out of this is 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful, oh, uh, talking about songs, you know, all, obviously, gosh, music is so important to God. What are his angels doing in heaven right now? Singing. What are we going to get? What does the Bible tell us that we're going to get to do for eternity? We're going to get to stand before Him and go, Holy, 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 holy is Lord God Almighty. We're going to get to sing and worship. He created us with this lung capacity, not to yell at our kids, but to just lift our voices and praise to Him. Just to lavish Him with love. He does not need our worship. He doesn't. God doesn't get a power up if we sing to him. We need that. We need to worship him. It reminds us of who he is, what he's done, and of who he did it for, which was us. It puts us back in our place. It puts him on his throne and us at his feet. And it's just such a beautiful and perfect thing. And that's why, if, even if, you, if we keep going back to the, the sufficiency of God's word, everything in it, there's over 3,000 verses in this book about music, about worship, about singing. The biggest book, the biggest part of this entire book, biggest, have you, is Psalms. Psalms. But it's full of Psalms. <coughs> and so that should just show you how important it is to God. So God's word is showing us here that we all need to be Singing. It is one of the best ways that God has given us to worship and to experience a relationship with him. Uh, again, the longest book, but also this is telling us that we are allowed to worship him with a variety of music. So long as it is based and on and comes from his word and that it is edifying to him, that is bringing him glory, that is pointing out how great that he is, worshiping, praising, telling him how grateful we are. So it doesn't, you know, we went to, uh, the kids and I went to Winter Jam a couple weeks ago. It's got artists of varying styles, all of them praising and worshiping God, right? And so 
you're looking at this here, even in our church today, we got to enjoy psalms, we got to enjoy some hymns, and we're, again, we're going to get to enjoy a spiritual song. And a spiritual song is all other songs that are spiritual and edify and glorify God. As long as it comes from his word. Don't put limitations on it. Now, I know there will be some. I'm going to pick on you. You don't have to stand up. or Well, you can if you want to leave because you're mad. But uh, I'm going to pick on the hymn-only people. It's not hymns only. At some point, those hymns the tunes of which were based off of drinking songs, they were new to, you know what I mean? Um, and so God has redeemed those. He's made great hymns. We've got books of them there. We've got the red ones in the back that we whip out on Sunday nights. Hymns are great and wonderful. Psalms are wonderful. But God has given us the variety, the choice, you know, to pick and choose and to enjoy. Because we're not all built the same. Even though we're all part of one body, still enjoyable. That doesn't mean Pastor Harrison's going to be listening to Christian rap anytime soon, but, but, that's right. <laughs> Anyways. That's right. So, <laughs> when you sing, do so singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Sing graciously. Sing with praise. Um, Jesus puts a song in your heart. Christians are to make a... Oh, see, look how good we are at the body. We're already starting to talk together. Um, so anyways, a joyful noise. My daughter's birthday yesterday, opening presents. That like ear-shattering squeal when she got something that she wanted. It just made me think of that. So two things about our singing, just real quick. Uh, we're to do it with grace in our hearts. We're gonna, again, as we were talking about earlier, even we talk about understanding and becoming grateful, our thankfulness towards God, that's also to overflow in our singing. Uh, but also, we're to do it to the Lord. We're to worship and sing to the Lord. We're not singing for ourselves. When you're in the choir, you're not singing for the people sitting out here. You are singing to God and Him alone. So let your voices ring out. This does not mean you have to sing well, okay? Obviously, if you heard me, that's why I sit over there in the corner, okay? Um, you don't have to sing well, but you are still to sing to the Lord. So, last point, and we'll move on for the day. We are to prioritize the reputation of Christ. And it says in verse 317, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we let the peace of Christ rule, when the word of Christ dwells within us, then our lives are to bring glory to God. What, what does Paul mean when he says the name of the Lord Jesus? The name is his person. It's his character. Christ is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the authority. He's the Lord of the world. And so that means everything we do, every part of us, in our word, in our deed, do everything. Now, some of the Bible is very hard to understand. It is convoluted. It's tough. Translations are difficult. Everything means everything. It means all that you do. Do that in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. So there are three features involved in this command. The scope of the command, again, everything in your word or in deed. A lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, we as God's people 
We like to shut him out of certain parts of our lives. When we go up to a movie theater, God, Jesus, you just need to stay in the car for the next two and a half hours. You don't want to see this, right? When we listen to certain types of music, God, you might want to turn your part of the radio down for this, right? Everything we do, in word or in deed. When that telemarketer calls for the 18th time, you know what I mean? You just get that little urge to tell them how you really feel. Everything we do, in word or in deed, do it to the glory of God. Do it to honor him. We are the representations of Christ here on this earth. We are his light. We are to be the ones spreading his kingdom here. And that is an honor and a privilege, but it's also a burden. Everything you do in word or deed. None of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. But if we all strive together in the same direction, in a long obedience, that's the best we can hope for. So all we should do should be done with thanksgiving to God our Father. Again, coming back to being thankful, recognizing what he has done for us continually and always. And so as we come to a conclusion today, I want to center on this, one of the last words that's spoken here in this text. Father. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now we're going to get into in the next couple weeks what it means to be a husband what it means to be a parent. Father to some of us is a dirty word. Or it's a word that I didn't truly have an understanding of until I came into faith in Christ, until I met God, really, and then until I became a father myself. I did not come into full, into full fruition. But he is our father. He's a loving God. He gives us promises that do not end. He gives us some people around us to support us. And so if you do not know him as your father, if you do not recognize yourself as holy, as dearly loved, as it says in verse 12, and I pray today that you would take this time, you wouldn't miss this opportunity to come before him and accept, gosh, this love. It is so funny to me, you know, working with the youth, working with people, God chases us down. Oh man, does he chase us down. There are things that you are going to get caught in that you probably would never get caught in if you did not know God is your Father. He is going to correct us. He's going to teach us. He's going to find you and bring that out and try to bring you back to Him. That's what getting caught in our mistakes is. It's God trying to love on us, redeem us, bring us back. And even for some of us that aren't rebellious, that we still suffer through such hardships, such trials. He's a father that's there to hold your hand, to carry you, whatever we need. So I pray today that you do not know him as your father, that you would realize the sin, the brokenness that you're in, that you would repent, and that you would receive Christ and all that he has done for you. And that if you are his child, that you would prioritize his peace, his word, his worship, that you would be grateful, that you would let his name be glorified in everything you do. Terry, please come. This altar is open to you today. If you would like to come and pray while we sing our hymnal song, after that, our praise and worship team, you can all come up as well. Uh, get your mic set up. They're going to lead us in one more uh, spiritual song before we close today. Thank you.
Turn to page number 425. Find this guy. 